0: Guests appear on the Superbook Sports phone line. Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook Sports Tennessee app today with Jason and John, live from the tops Barbecue Studios on 929 FM ESPN.
1: Rob Dosser is the founder of the Field of 68, also the Field of 12. Man's out here founding everything. He joins us now. Rob, what's happening, brother?
2: Uh, What I should have done was found a mortgage company and then go buy a team and in 12 hours go trade for Kevin Durant. That's what I should have done. Mm. I messed up.
1: Reports are, Rob, that Mikael Bridges uh, is a trade target for the Memphis Grizzlies. What do you think about that fit if it happens? Uh,
2: I I love it. I love Mikael Bridges. I think that he is kind of like the prototype role player that you want in the NBA. I mean, the dude makes threes. He defends. He can guard like four different positions, he can kind of play on the ball if you need him to, he can play off the ball if you need him to um, he's tough, and I, I think he would fit in well, kind of with, like the culture of the Grizzlies, right, like he's a tough dude, he's not going to back down from people, he knows how to play he's not someone that's going to come in here screaming for shots, Like he just, I think he's one of those guys where he's never going to be a star, but he's going to help every single team that he's on, like there's a reason why he, he he's always on teams that win a lot of games, right no matter what level you have them playing, I love them. And look, this could be any radio station, any topic that we're talking, or any team that we're talking about. And I would say that getting Mikael Bridges would be a really good fit. You need guys like that to win, right? You need those dudes like um, like Danny Greens or Trevor Ariza, like just pieces like that that are going to go out there and do their job. You can go out there and do a job for you.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, on to college basketball, Rob. Uh, Memphis is in, a, in an interesting spot. They did handle South Florida last night, but that really – nobody's checking for that. That's more of a must-not-lose as opposed to a must-win for Memphis at this point. When you look at their resume, is it is it a, a deal where they need to beat Houston once to get an at-large? Do you think if they just beat everybody else on their schedule – and if they lose to Houston twice, they're still in. Just how would you assess Memphis' tournament resume right now?
2: I, I mean, I think you want to beat them at least once, right? You don't want to put yourself in a situation where uh, you head into selection Sunday with basically like, well, one quad, one win, depending on what Texas A&M does. Um, so I think that you probably want to beat them to feel a little bit more comfortable about your situation. Um, it's also, you know, I do kind of feel bad. For Memphis to a point, because if you kind of look at what they've done this season, they they lost to Tulane in overtime, right? They lost to UCF in double overtime. They lost at Alabama by three. They lost to Seton Hall by possession, which by the way, like doesn't look like a very bad loss anymore. Uh, the St. Louis game was a close game. The first Tulane game was a close game, so um, they're not getting run out of the gym at all. They've just had some games where things did not necessarily go their way down the stretch, uh, and you know, you got to win. Winning matters. Those last couple of possessions matter more than anything else. But I don't think this team is too far away from being, like, in this moment, like 22-2. and two. They're probably, like, six possessions away from that at this point. So, I don't think that they're a bad team at all. And we know how those matchups go with Houston, right? We've seen it over and over and over again. I, I'm not going to be shocked. and You know, I, I would probably put money on them finding a way to beat Houston in the last game of the regular season and doing, having one of those things where it punches their ticket.
3: Has Kendrick Davis been what you you thought he would would be? And and I'll broaden that question a little bit in the sense that let's say they do make the tournament, whether they're a 10-seed, 8-9, whatever. How much of a shot would you give a team like this that is one of the most experienced teams in the country? I think it's top 10 in terms of that, Rob. But the shooting, the shooting has been the question mark going into the year. It's been the issue all year. If they did get in, 10, 8, 9, whatever it is, how much of a chance with a guy like Kendrick Davis lead it, DeAndre Williams playing at a pretty high level too, uh, how much of a chance would you give them to make some noise once they were there?
2: Well, look at all the teams that make runs in March, right? They all have Words. guards that can go yes. can go make something happen. Because yep. What's going to happen in the NCAA tournament is you're going to run into a situation where you're up against a team and nothing's working, right? Your offense isn't working, this set isn't working. Uh, You can't create anything out of this. You're not getting out in transition. You're playing a team that has you scouted really, really well, or they're doing something different that you've never seen before, and you just can't figure it out. When that happens, you need somebody that can go make a play and make something happen, right? There's a reason why when UConn made their run to the title, it happened when they had Kemba Walker. It happened when they had Shabazz Napier, guys who were arguably uh, the best in the country at their position, National Player of the Year kind of conversation. That's what Kendrick Davis is. What's he at? Like twenty-two and six or something like that right now. It's ridiculous. So um, if they get in, I'll say it over and over again. That's not a team that I'm going to want to play. And I also think that they're better defensively, maybe than what the numbers kind of say. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you, when you have when you have eight a, a great guard and two guys that can kind of go and create something. You know, I'll throw DeAndre Williams into that mix too. Like that's that's going to be a team that uh, can make things happen. Now, um, a lot of it's going to depend on the draw and who you match up with. Like it's kind of a weird year where they're in that kind of like 11 to playing game range, which I think is probably kind of what you're looking at if they find a way to get in. You know, there's a lot of teams that on that, that five, six, seven seed range, uh, you know, the best teams in the big East right now are kind of in that range. There's going to be a bunch of teams from the big 12 that end up in that range. So that's a, it's, it's just it's a weird year in college basketball. I, I feel like this is this is the season where more than any that I can remember, like the difference between the teams that are going to be one seeds and the teams that are going to be like six seeds, it's just really not all that much.
1: You know, people always like to say that uh, the Power Five is really only something that matters in football. That's sort of the you know the the line. But isn't this, and as you just sort of laid out, isn't this situation with Memphis a clear indicator of how, you know, the lack of quality outside the Power Five is hurting them? I mean, let's just take Tennessee, for example. Tennessee last night loses to Vanderbilt on a buzzer beater, and it's a bad loss, and they're getting laughed at today. But they host Alabama, a top three team, a week from today, and if they win, like, nobody's going to remember that they lost to Vanderbilt the week before. You know their resume is going to be no worse off for it because they get these opportunities. Memphis gets two a year. They get Houston, tw- and, and by the way, next year they won't get any. They won't. They won't have any chances in their league to beat a ranked team. So isn't when we're talking about, you know, if you just take Memphis's resume blindly, you know, you would say, oh, a seventeen and or an eighteen and sixteen. You know, of course they're making the tournament, but because they don't have those opportunities for quad one wins, it's a question. Isn't this a direct impact of? you know, that power five and, and I guess the power leagues in college basketball, you get outside of those, it's, 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 really, it's really difficult.
2: Yeah, it is. It's definitely that. I also think that it's a little bit of a, a criticism on the rest of the teams in that conference, right? Part of the reason why we were excited about um, what the AAC could be was, you know, Cincinnati's in that league. And they have a chance to always be like a top 25, top 30 kind of a team, and they aren't. Wichita State. They were a team that everyone thought was going to be a great program, and they've fallen off a cliff recently. Uh, UCF got off to a good start to the season. That really hasn't worked out the way that we thought it was going to end up working out. SMU is not what they were three, four, five years ago. So it's not just that they're in a league where there aren't as many uh, good wins and there's a lot more opportunities to get bad losses. It's that the other teams that were supposed to be quad one opportunities are now quad two and quad three opportunities. And it doesn't make it any more any easier to go into Wichita State and win it doesn't make it any easier to go into Cincinnati and win. It's just that winning doesn't get you as much of a bump and losing is the kind of thing that can uh, that, that can derail your season. I think the Tulane game is a perfect example, right? But yeah. like, Tulane is, that's not a bad team. They're well-coached. Ron always has those guys playing hard. Um, and when you go and you lose at Tulane, when you are Memphis in, 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 a, in a season like this, it just that that can really torpedo what your resume. Is. I mean, they got a quad three loss the other night, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's not that's when you don't have those those multiple quad one opportunities to kind of offset that. Picking up a quad three loss is not something that's going to be very good for your resume.
3: Yep, can't lose anymore more like that. Uh, Vols, John mentioned them. They lose on the last second three. Rob, is it going to be those droughts that cost them again in terms of Rick Barnes finally passing the test with them? In the tournament and going as deep as he needs to go, I think it was 427. There, they went without a basket against Vandy last night.
2: Yeah, they just don't have a, a go-to guy. They don't have someone that you could throw the ball to and make something happen. And that's that's kind of the benefit of you know having Kendrick Davis. Uh, um, I'm not a, bo- a believer in Zakai Ziegler or Steve Askew being the number one option mm-hmm. on a team that can make a deep run in March. I'm just not. You know, I think what they really need is they got a freshman Julian Phillips. And if he can find a way to be some kind of, like, go-to option, some kind of outlet for easy offense, then I think that really changes what their ceiling can be. But the problem is we just haven't seen him doing it. I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I don't know if it's a Rick Barr's not trusting him thing. Uh, if you watched the game last night, there was a play with 18 seconds left in Tennessee up two. Uh, they kind of broke a press, and Julian Phillips had a wide open duck. I mean, it was a 100% shot, yep. and he just dribbled out. Uh, Four more seconds, and um, tried to get a couple more fouls, uh, and try to run a little bit more time off the clock. They ended up missing the front end of a a one and one, and then Vanderbilt obviously makes a game winning three. So it's like I don't maybe it's just he's not the great greatest decision maker at this point. I don't know what it is. There's something going on there that's not working. But until Tennessee finds a guy that can get them easy offense in big situations, they're just they're they're not going to be a team that can make a run. And I, I just as much as I. I like what they're doing, and as good as they are defensively, I just can't see them going deep into March with your go to guys five to seven.
1: We're talking to Rob Doster, founder of Field of 68, as we get closer and closer to March and the NCAA tournament. Uh, Purdue is the number one team in the country. They've sort of been flirting with that all year long, but I don't know, man. Like, am I supposed to believe that this year is going to be the year when it's different for Purdue and Matt Painter? You know, if like we're conditioned to kind of expect them to, you know, look good in the regular season, and then when they get the tournament, will what's different about this Purdue team? Why should I buy them as a real national championship contender?
2: There's, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. One, uh, they've never had. We, we've never seen something like Zach Eadie before. We've never seen a guy that is as big and as physically dominant as he is. Um, I think that you can make the the, the argument that. He's the most dominant college basketball player that we've seen in like the last 20 years. He just he's, – he's basically impossible to stop. And the thing that gave me a lot of hope, uh, you know, because I, I obviously I have the same concerns that you do, right? Like you're, you're building, building around two freshman guards and a big slow-footed center that, you know, in an ideal world, you could pull them away from the basket and kind of exploit that. Well, um, they were at Indiana. Hot, one of the hottest teams in the Big Ten. Uh, got Trace Jackson-Davis. Uh, one of the loudest environments you're going to find. They got punched in the mouth, um, down by 15 at halftime. When they came all the way back, they were down one with the ball and a chance to take the lead with, like, two minutes left in that game. And it wasn't like they were pressing. It wasn't like they were changing what they they were doing. It wasn't like they hit, like, seven threes in a row. They just kept consistently running their stuff and finding a way to make it work. And to me, that is kind of what you need to be able to do in March. That would have been ideal if they found a way to win that game. My argument would have been backed up a little bit more, but uh, I'm – I'm in on this group being the one that can kind of break that bugaboo of uh, of, of Purdue teams not finding a way to, to do it in March. And and I know they got freshman guards, man, but I think those kids are both – they're tough. Um, I think that they understand the moment and they both know as long as they are playing off of Zach Eady and getting the balls and the playing inside out, the opportunities for them are going to be a little bit easier. So I'm in on them being able to make a run. But this is the kind of year, like I said, where I would not be shocked to see any of the top five, six, seven, eight teams get knocked out in the second round. It's just there's really not all that much difference between the best teams in the country and the next tier.
3: How would you compare, Rob, this Arizona team, and, and I've been watching a little closer this year just because of they've got uh, Sed Henderson Jr. that's doing a little bit of everything for them, starting when they need him to, comes off the bench, does a little bit of everything. But how would you compare this team to last year's that, what, lost in the Sweet 16 to Houston in terms of its chances. Now, obviously, they lost a ton of talent Matherins in the in the NBA, but comparing the two and how far this one could go, uh, you like this Arizona team?
2: I do. I like them a little bit more now because they're playing uh, – they're, they're defending better than they were at the start of the season. Um, but, I mean, that's kind of there, – there's two things that I'm worried about. One, not having Christian Coloco and having Umar Balo just kind of changes what you are defensively, right? You change a guy that is – that got drafted in the first round because of his potential as a defensive presence uh, to a guy that is basically like um, a little bit of a lesser Zach E in in ballot, more or less. And two, the other problem is you have, you're built around post players. Last year, when you did that, you had Ben Matherin, who is a star in the NBA right now. And you had Dale and Terry uh, who ended up being a first round pick. And you had these other guys that were um, really high level talents. And this year, you know, you got Kirk Creason, who's good, and you got Courtney Ramey, who's a good college player, and Ted Henderson, who's a good college player, and Pella Larson, who's like, they're good college players, but they're, they're a different level, level of guy from Ben Matherin. Yep. So that's just my, my my concern. is Like, we're running through the running through these post players. You're going to play too big. You're never going to be elite defensively. And, oh, by the way, instead of having a guy that's going to be a top-ten pick, you know, you got a guy that's a 50-year that was – Kind of, sort of, run off a little bit from Texas.
1: Hey, Rob, man, great stuff as always, dude. Appreciate the time. Thank you, brother.
2: Thanks, man. Always a pleasure, guys.
1: Yes, sir. He is Rob Doster coming on and breaking it down as we get closer and closer to the NCAA tournament. We'll come back, Jason and John at ESPN.
0: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one.